0: What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. My name is David Hockney, and I am your seven-time reigning, defending, no. undisputed Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet World Champion. Yes, and it's been—it feels so good to say that out loud. Uh, but today we'll be talking about uh, a man whose career has expanded over the course of thirty years, and it has all been neatly piled together in a five-part documentary series known as The Last Ride. And that's going to be the talking point today. We'll be discussing The Undertaker's docuseries, The Last Ride. This is part four of our Undertaker series, which you can listen to on our back catalogue. You can listen to gimmick matches, the streak, and the greatest rivalries, all from the Undertaker saga on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, which you can find on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, and all good Android podcasting sites. Be sure to visit us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at suplexretweet. And you can also be sure to check out our extra feed, Suplex Retweet Extra, where you can find a whole array of bonus content, including Wednesday Night Wars, Alba Good Graps, and of course, Saturday Draft Live. Be sure to visit our website as well, suplexretweet.com, for interviews, articles, everything else in between. And don't forget to check out our YouTube channel, in which we have just uh, released a new episode of Quiz Showdown, which is episode two, Electric Boogaloo. So now that that's taken care of, let's dive right into the Last Ride documentary series with my BSA, otherwise known as the Bullshit Crew. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Up first, as the champion of a galaxy far, far away, The Undertaker may just end up facing him in a Death Star match. Let's just hope he walks away in one piece. It is Daniel Campbell.
1: I remember the first time you tried that. Oh, good grief! That that gave me that gave me like Vietnam-style flashbacks. Sweet lordy. but cheers for the pop about Quiz showdown earlier. I quite appreciate that.
0: Hey, it's, uh, it's a good concept we've got going, and you know you did an excellent job of hosting and producing it. So I had to get the plug in somehow. Thank you wow. very much. <laughs> uh, up next is someone who's uh, very patiently waiting for a five-part documentary series on viscera. It is Big Gary V. it's Gary (laughs) Kernahan.
2: Oh, thanks, Dave. Um, I'm satisfied with the two-part Christmas special we're going to be doing on Viscera, and uh, I'm sure we'll find a way of talking about The Undertaker's amazing feud with King Mabel at some point in the show.
0: (laughs) Well, fingers crossed, but uh, I wouldn't hold my breath if I were you. (laughs) Up next, is someone who basically, much like The Undertaker and the last few years of his career, he just doesn't know when to stop, getting involved with anything to do with radio hosting or radio production. It is the best in the
3: world... Chris Murray. (laughs) Yes, David. Thank you very much. Uh, I like that. I like that. Yeah, definitely just don't know when to stop. This is... uh The first time I've not been speaking about Nonsense Chart dance music all week. So this is excellent and uh, very happy to be here. David, it's actually quite good because, you know, I normally only get drafted in when we're talking about the old guys. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. Ultimate Warrior, Sting. I never get get involved when it's like something new. And this is brilliant because this is like both something new, a new documentary series about someone old. So it's just absolutely perfect. I feel like this is the, you know that bit? At the end of Tiger King Where they all got on Zoom And spoke to each other about the show I feel like that's what this is (laughs) Uh, Well I've never watched Tiger King Just because of all the, the stories going around So I can't comment
0: on that Chris Murray, the new host of Antiques Roadshow, coming soon. <laughs> uh, and finally, that voice you just heard, he is the MVEP of ESSR. It is Mr. Kwaku Ajay. Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Kwaku, I ran out of uh, creativity, so... Sorry, um... I'm, I'm so used to
4: getting roasted or whatever, so I'm just like... It's a weird Stockholm Syndrome I've got, so when mm-hmm. something actually gives me a normal nice intro, I'm just a bit, oh, come on, you could
0: have at least slagged me off. (laughs) (laughs) Which is weird. Well, you know what, I think, you know, given everything that, you know, you've been heavily involved with, you know, the production of these shows over this uh, lockdown period, and you've been getting involved with like Quiz Showdown as well. And we all know that maybe quizzes aren't quite your thing. I have to give you applaud, you know, just for taking the time in and putting the, giving it your best shot can you just slag me please
4: i'm not used to this
3: <laughs> it's like okay, a backhanded uh, slag i know
4: stop it it's weird <laughs> thank you mo- please move on
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> clacky your roasts suck there we go insult anyway uh, uh, <laughs> uh... <laughs> okay uh, I'll, I'll reflect on that one <laughs> right okay enough with the roasting let's get into this uh into this episode. So uh, today we're talking about the five-part documentary series The Undertaker, The Last Ride, which looks at the last three years of The Undertaker's career, uh, sort of beginning around the sort of time of WrestleMania 33, uh, where I think everybody believed that he was having his last match, but little did we know that there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. And it was quite, um, quite unique to see The Undertaker in this format because this is a man who... Has devoted, you know, almost half his adult life uh, to this character that he's portrayed in WWE, and I want to start off with um, WrestleMania 33, which was kind of the starting point. So, episode one was titled "The Greatest Fear," and uh, Gary, I'm going to start with you because you were actually in attendance at WrestleMania 33, where he had allegedly his last match against Roman Reigns, like. From when you saw it live, did you get the impression that this was going to be Undertaker's, potentially his last match?
2: Only when we, only after the match, Dave, and he put his hat and his jacket back on and then took them off and lay them in the middle of the ring. At that moment, it felt like we were there for something very special. And at that moment, kind of, the, the botches that had occurred in the match were were quickly forgotten about and it, it really did feel like you were witnessing uh, history, witnessing the Undertaker's last match. It was a very symbolic exit or, or should have been a very symbolic exit for the Undertaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and that's uh, that sort of ties back into some of his uh, previous WrestleMania matches. Uh, Chris, I want to ask you about the 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 sort of WrestleMania 30 moment where Brock Lesnar broke the streak and he suffered a concussion. Uh, Undertaker has said himself that this was the point where he lost a lot of confidence in himself because of that concussion. Do you think that was the the turning point uh, at The Undertaker's career to think, can he do this anymore?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we were watching those matches with Shawn Michaels and then Triple H, I think I personally hadn't really... I hadn't really thought, oh, he's losing a step, but he says in the show at various points that he considers those like his last big high point. And then once he got to Brock, obviously, you know, regardless of what happened, he was losing the match. But then it went out the streak went out on such a sour note due to him sustaining injuries during the match. I mean, like, I remember that match so vividly. I remember where it was and just jumping. I think I was sitting watching it in my bed and I jumped out of bed and just been like oh my god it's it's over and and just the sheer shock of the whole thing and yeah you can tell that he left that match feeling so so dejected it was cool to see what the sort of story of the next sort of few years and how his feelings would go up and down mm-hmm.
0: yeah and you know the it was it goes into detail about how you know he was uh, put straight into an ambulance after he got backstage and Vince went to the hospital with him I think this sort of exposed uh, Daniel a much more human side to The Undertaker. That he's not just this uh, cosmic entity or this undead mortician character. He still is, like, at the end of the day, still a human being with, uh, you know, a fun loving personality.
1: I mean, come on, David. Don't pull back the curtain that much. We need to keep Kayfabe going here. Nah, um, <laughs> I mean, it was obviously given what happened with his, like, how he was coming out of the match. Like, because they, sh- they showed the footage of him, like, you can kind of see him just being like sat down at the side of the gorilla position at Wrestlemania 30 like if you've been performing at such a high level for so long and then you go out there and have a match where you know Taker has said himself he remembers what happened at 3 o'clock that afternoon and then his memory comes back at 4 in the morning the next day. Taker does not remember a thing at all about WrestleMania 30 other than what he's watched back on TV.
2: There must have been a moment for him there where you know he'd, he'd been in this routine of doing one match a year, training working up to it, and having matches that absolutely stole the show. And he's defying mother nature of his age and still going out and having these amazing matches. And then something happens that makes him feel incredibly human again and makes him think actually I can't, can I keep getting myself up for this and it was quite interesting getting a glimpse into what his training regime was like and a wee hint, I don't know if you guys how strongly this came across to you guys but a wee hint that his training regime maybe wasn't all that it could have been and that he would have the match rest for a period and then go into training camp and work incredibly hard and I think at one point he says rather blatantly uh, matter of fact that oh, I told myself I wasn't going to you know, let it all go but then I've let it all go and now I've got you know, a bigger step to take back back up along the way so just that sort of sense of mortality seeking in and the difference between his training and the training that Triple H did for his match because he was very much into the getting into this really Mode of doing one match a year, but Triple H still did house shows, he took part in tag matches, so he was getting some ring time along the way. So I thought that was quite fascinating to get that wee insight into it. I know you raise an excellent point there, Gary. You
0: know, the the routine of only just doing like one match a year, you know, then going into rehab and then training for the next match the following year. It became sort of a new pattern for The Undertaker after, you know, say a few years ago when he was on the road constantly and he was wrestling. know matches more frequently so there was little time to rest up in between uh chris i want to ask you do you think there comes a point where you can only keep up that that constant day-by-day routine of doing match in match out and then with little time to rest in between do you think there's a point where it actually does take a toll uh on a human being even someone as dedicated as the undertaker
3: yeah i think that was one thing that came across really well in episode one was the whole idea that okay by only doing one match a year he's extending his career however the huge downside of that is that the ring rust is so significant when he gets to that one match that was that was one of the main points of the first episode was just that like it hurts him so much to come back for each one of these individual matches and it's like What he's done is it's almost like if you you think about the end of a wrestler's career and just stretching it and just everything being so much more drawn out. Like a wrestler like Seth Rollins, for example, might go out, might have a match, might leave with like a sore neck or back or, you know, knee, something like that. But then they get back in the ring, they get working on it again. And it's almost like. Uh, what's the expression like water off a duck's back or something like that the, the, it's almo- almost yeah. like blends into the background whereas uh-huh. with Ta- with Taker it was just so much worse because it was being so stretched out and it, you're watching this thing where you're knowing that this is for the benefit of you that you know the fan and the audience but it's so difficult to watch at the same time because you know the amount of you know pain that he's going through to get to that mm.
0: Yeah, and he was starting to rack up injuries and stuff. Like, I think, I think he said when he was doing his, uh, he was going into the the hospital room. It was like, is there a part of the part of his body which he hasn't had injured or had surgery on? Like, in particular, he was talking about his his hip replacement that he had to have after WrestleMania 33. So the injuries, you know, he started piling up with them, and he was in his 50s by that point. So it's not like you know this is a. A, a young upstart in their mid to mid to late twenties, who's got you know a, a very bright future ahead of them, and they've got all the energy and the charisma in the world. This is a guy who sort of stood the test of time over you know multiple generations, and this is the point where it's it's finally caught. Up. But there is um, there is one match in particular he said that he completely felt out of place in, and that he felt that he should not have been there at all, and that was the twenty seventeen. Royal Rumble, in particular where he had that confrontation with Roman Reigns after he entered at number 30. Daniel, when you saw, I don't know if you remember the 2017 Royal Rumble, but how did it feel seeing The Undertaker in that match? Do you think he should have been there or do you think he, knew he shouldn't have been there?
1: Like when I, it, mainly sk- it mainly goes back to when I watched Undertaker at WrestleMania 32. I could see just how awkwardly he was moving about and my, my thoughts when he finished that match was just go away get whatever surgeries you need and you'll be fine and then I'm reading through the year he hasn't got the surgeries and he was delaying them and for whatever reason Undertaker was reportedly delaying these surgeries just to make WrestleMania and then it comes to when he announces he's going into the Royal Rumble I'm like okay the, the Undertaker marking me is thinking yes we're gonna get Taker in the Rumble match realistically I'm thinking I really don't think it's a good idea. And then he gets in the match and he moves so awkwardly. He looks so out of shape. Like, he he was in no condition to go out, if you ask me. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and again, that sort of falls down to... This was why that episode, I believe, was titled The Greatest Fear, because he was sort of facing that internal struggle about not knowing when to stop, and... You know, even though he's still he's in that routine of doing maybe one or two matches a year at most, and there's that I think there's that doubt in that mind where he thinks, you know, I want to finish on a really good match, but I don't want to overstay my welcome or put over somebody that... or not put over somebody that should be put over. And... Uh, Gary, I'm going to come back to the WrestleMania 33 angle uh, or the WrestleMania 33 match when he went up against Roman. Um, obviously, Roman Reigns goes over in that match, but and there are a lot of people who weren't happy about that. But oh, yeah, would you believe that you know the Undertaker wasn't happy about that either because he feels he let Roman down? Yeah, and you can really see
2: the that niggles out so much and he carries that burden for lack of a better word uh, for such a long time Uh, and and this I mean when you watch the documentary it uh, it draws a spotlight to some things that you probably wouldn't have noticed otherwise like we talked about his hip and the impact that was having on him and then when you see the footage again and you notice the, the way he's walking and you uh, suddenly it all makes makes a little bit more, makes a little bit more sense and actually in hindsight he should you know he shouldn't have gone ahead with this match if it had been you know if this was an MMA match or a boxing match the match would have would never have gone ahead and um you see he tried his he tried his very best but there was the match you know was box, box, uh, box Sorry. Uh, how ironic that I botched saying that word uh, throughout uh, throughout the match and some of the spots you can see like just where his strength wasn't what it used to be when he tried to, particularly when he tried to do that reverse tombstone, which is a spot he should never ever ever do again. As that's, yeah. um, we'll put, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a wee bit when we get on to Saudi Arabia. Um, there was, yeah, it, it made a lot more sense when you've seen some of these, but you see there's this great scene in the documentary When he's sitting at home with Michelle his wife watching the match back and he's like wincing and can't bring himself to watch the match he's really embarrassed with his performance and obviously later on we see him he seeks out Roman Reigns to apologize Mm -hmm. for for what's happened he really carries it very very personally much more than I think any other person like somebody mentioned Seth Rollins earlier on you know somebody that was doing matches night in night out would have had a match the next night and you know, would have been able to quickly get out of the system, get back on the horse. He has to wait a year to get that opportunity again and it just mm. niggles at him throughout.
0: Yeah, And I think you sort of segue very nicely into the second chapter which is the the redemption arc and you know, you mentioned the, the fallout from WrestleMania 33, he watches his performance back and you can see he's, he's clearly not happy and I think you could see from Roman's face when he does his pose on the ramp and the fireworks go off. I think you can see in his face that, you know, he wasn't happy either. Like that was that was nowhere near like main event WrestleMania worthy, if that makes sense. Uh, Chris, what do you think of that of WrestleMania 33's main event like as a whole, knowing that, you know, this knowing in hindsight that this is what was going on in the head of Undertaker and also in even in the mind of Roman Reigns?
3: So i think this was like peak fans being against roman and i remember watching it with three of my friends and thinking i I just remember feeling so deflated because you know the undertaker was never really going to win but then i was thinking oh well why was the match booked in the first place like why would you want two in the loss column for the undertaker streak instead of one like it was already bad enough that he lost brock left feeling really, really deflated but even more so watching it back through the documentary because you realise had it been a few years earlier or I think the most significant point of the show was had it been even later when his body was, you know, repaired and he'd gone full Terminator 3 um, he could have probably had a really good match with Roman you saw in a tag match that we're going to probably talk about later on that he was performing really well later on after he got his surgery and yeah... It was, it was a shame like there's a line that I picked up on from the period just before the match where he says they say a fighter gets old in one fight I just hope mine's not tonight and I feel like for a lot of wrestling fans they probably watched that Roman match and were just like oh he's, he's done that's it and the the limp as well that Gary mentioned earlier, like that, really stuck with me. I just was like, I felt myself shouting at my TV while I was watching this uh, documentary, just being like, why didn't you leave it after thirty three? Everything could have been, or not after thirty three, before thirty three, everything could have been so much better. But alas, we did get our redemption.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this was his redemption arc to to basically essentially redeem his really sort of piss poor performance from Wrestlemania 33 and even he says that you know that was that was not the way he wanted to go out even though I think everybody assumed you know that was going to be his last match and probably unfairly Roman got a lot of heat from it the next night on Raw in hindsight he definitely it definitely was very unfair towards him but in this episode oh uh, that David
2: Sorry, yes. David. That that moment on Raw the night after Mania, that was amazing. Sorry, I know we're not talking <laughs> about Roman Reigns, but that was yeah. incredible. It's my yard fact- now after twenty minutes of booing. <laughs> I know it was pretty pretty
0: mental. Daniel, what were you going to say?
1: I, I would easily. I'm, I'm not even lying about this. I would call it probably the greatest promo of 2017, and it's only five words long. Mm. Yeah, just you for know that what? moment. You actually see him stand there just like to the crowd just like you know come on keep it going he knew he had them in the palm of his hand yeah, that was the most happy i've ever seen roman reigns
0: <laughs> <laughs> He was just like oh yeah like keep going keep going and they just sort of did it for him i mean but yeah uh, let's move away from that um but yeah so chapter two redemption we actually get to see a, a better insight into his Relationship with Vince McMahon. Now, obviously, Undertaker being probably one of the most tenured, uh, tenured employees of WWE. You know, he's been there since 1990. He's gonna have uh, developed a relationship with Vince McMahon over time. Uh, um, Gary, how would you best describe uh, the Undertaker's relationship with Vince McMahon now that you have watched it on the
2: documentary? The emotional reaction from Vince when he was asked. The re- relatively simple question about what what does the Undertaker mean to you, he was incredibly emotional, so emotional he could not answer the question, and th- that was that was surprising because this is a, this is a man that you know their p- working careers have been intertwined for so long that you'd have thought he would have been able to give some sort of articulation of it, but their Relationship is such that he, he just wasn't able to verbalise that that was that was quite interesting and I've seen Vince McMahon get like that you know get emotional at that when he was talking when the he spoke uh, on the documentary about the Ultimate Warrior and was recanting the tragic last hours of the Warrior's life and the impact of that on him so that was the only other time I can think of seeing Vince get emotion, so emotional at that so it speaks a lot about the bond. You hear time after time about these wrestler, about wrestlers talking about Vince as a father figure. And you see so often in the clips now of people going back after the match looking for that sort of vindication or validation from Vince that they've, you know, they've done well. It's The the way that man can build connections with these performers is it's quite... It's nothing I've ever seen before. It's quite exceptional. And... Um, but yeah, I mean, he was incredibly emotional talking about it. And um, it was interesting when we seen later on uh, when the Undertaker went to WWE headquarters to have the discussions about finishing his finishing his career. And, and sadly we didn't get to be a fly in the wall for that particular conversation. But it was a wee bit odd that he did leave him hanging around in the office whilst he was working out in the gym. <laughs> Yeah. that was a wee I bit did, uh, I don't know if there was some psychology going on there
0: yeah I think Vince actually looks really weird when he's wearing a t-shirt because you're always used to seeing him wearing his, wearing his suit all the time now yeah, yeah. but um, Chris uh, there was a, I think uh, what Gary was saying is that there's a relationship between Undertaker and Vince that's very unique compared to him and you know most of the other superstars but some would argue that it's a case of of like two brothers but with a, a with a hint of tough love as well. Do you think uh, that's kind of what was on show given that, you know, Undertaker was starting to doubt, you know, where, you know, things were gonna stop for him?
3: Yeah, there was a really good point made. I can't even remember which episode it was actually, but it was all about the idea that there were two war veterans, like two men yeah. that'd been in the trenches together, ready to, you know, take a bullet for each other at a moment's notice. The the best thing about this whole show, if you take out, you know, the fact that we got this, you know let behind the curtain of The Undertaker's whole facade. The two best things about this whole show was the exploration of the relationship with him and Vince, and just learning more about the relationship with him and Michelle. I think those are two things that you just, you'll never get to see in front of the camera, so it was good to sort of find out more about those. hmm
0: Yeah, and Daniel, obviously, you know, we go into details about The Undertaker's sort of family life as well. He's obviously, you know, married to Michelle McCool, And, you know, people like to sort of joke about it sometimes, like the fans in particular, like, because I remember in the 2018 Royal Rumble, uh, Women's Royal Rumble, uh, as soon as Michelle came out, there was Undertaker chants uh, and everything like that. So, there was an essence that people were aware that they were married and had, like, kids and stuff, but how good was it to see it, you know, just from from their perspective and how they go about their day-to-day lives?
1: It was—it's already fascinating enough because you're getting to see Undertaker. Like, well, you're not going to see Undertaker in this case. You're getting to see Mark Calloway, mm. and you very rarely get to see so much of him. And it was great to just see him, you know, just relaxing. Like he talks about Michelle meeting him, and like Michelle saying that there was two people she was, a f- like she was most scared of meeting when she joined WWE. One was the nicest guy in the world, Kane. And then she married the Undertaker, <laughs> and like she's, and it's great see them like joking back and forth. And then, you know, Taker's just like standing there, just like please stop the pain, like no enough. And then the kids are shouting for her, and he's just like, no go, please take them. And she's like, okay, daddy's kicking me off of here. You know, it, it's good to see him just bouncing about, like like I I like seeing Mark Calloway just having a laugh. I like seeing like even more recently out with the documentary, just seeing. Like, they've actually done interviews where he gets Michelle and their daughter just to sit with him. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm loving right. just getting to see him, like, be the family man.
0: Yeah, we're starting to see a lot more of Mark Calloway these days rather than The Undertaker. Uh, like, he's been on, you know, he's done interviews on The Bump, he's done interviews with Stone Cold Steve Austin on Broken Skull Sessions. It's You get a lot more exposure to, to Mark Calloway from this series rather than, you know, just seeing what he's like as The Undertaker. Mm. but sort of just following on to the where his redemption started and that was building towards uh his wrestlemania 34 match with john cena uh like he went through a lot of vigorous training as well i think uh Mm -hmm. he actually went through some cryotherapy like freezing to to cool his bones like have you ever seen like a professional athlete resort to treatment like that Uh, you know maybe aside from you know, marathon sprinters or or boxers, that kind of thing. Would you expect it from a WWE superstar?
3: The surgery scenes and all of the like preparation that Undertaker did, that was the most difficult part of this watch. Like it started off pretty brutal because we had to relive the chair shots from triple h and the first of their two wrestle, or sorry the second of their three wrestlemania matches but mm-hmm. the bit with the surgery where you were watching them hammering and drilling on his hip socket or whatever it was I, I found that a really really difficult watch and again just like what i was saying earlier it made it so real the amount of work that he was willing or the amount of pain he was willing to go through just to get his body right um, to have like you know that big one more match. Um, when he was sitting on the hospital bed and he was laughing with Michelle as they asked him oh have you ever had any surgeries before <laughs> which I thought was absolutely fantastic and then he literally he didn't it was as if he didn't even know where to start. he didn't know what bit of his body to start with and um, I also want to know because I thought it was excellent. I love that as he was going under to get his surgery on his hip, they played his theme just yeah. absolutely excellent.
0: Oh, it's like little Easter eggs like that. It's just it's perfect, um, but at the same time, is it really, is it really wise to hear like, you no, know, the rest in peace theme as you're about to go into surgery? I think yeah, that would terrify an, there's me. There's an
3: incredible irony, irony there,
0: isn't there? Like, yeah, honestly, if I heard that, I'd, I'd want to say, you no, know, get me out of this hospital. I'm not dying on the operating table.
1: If I'm going to die right now, can you at least play Always Look on the Bright Side of Life? <laughs>
0: Uh, would that be your funeral song?
1: Oh, definitely! I'll have another one Bites of dust in there as well.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, we'll put a playlist together for when uh, for when the bell tolls for thee.
1: I, I like that you guys are thinking of that for me. Thank you also very much.
2: Can we, <laughs> can we add celebration to that playlist? <laughs> yes,
1: please. Yeah, like, we'll we'll even that's throw that's in true. like yeah, just like celebrate as well celebrate good times
0: (laughs) yeah oh i thought you were gonna say celebrate by kid rock uh but (laughs) speaking of kid speaking of kid rock um there was that um remember kid rock was inducted into the hall of fame and uh before wrestlemania 34 and we were expecting to see uh like biker taker make a return with him performing the american badass theme but for his match with cena um are you kind of surprised they actually brought back the the dead man gimmick after it seemed to be retired the year before, uh, Gary?
2: Uh, no, no. I mean the rumours were rampant at at that time. So no, I wasn't. I wasn't surprised about it. Um, I think what we've seen here was was Vince starting to go in a direction with the Undertaker of trying to hide his weaknesses. Now I'm not sure how open a conversation they had about those weaknesses, but Vince clearly started to perceive there were some, and the Undertaker as the Undertaker character and you've heard him talk about this You know he can do certain moves but as the Undertaker it did make sense for him to do those moves so continuing in that character probably helped to hide some of those weaknesses so well, in hindsight wasn't surprised but, uh, or I, don't, I don't find it a surprising decision, but the the rumors were rampant at the time that that spot was mm-hmm. coming back. And, you know, people would have loved it if he came back as biker-taker. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Uh, and, uh,
0: Chris, I think you could tell immediately with that match with Cena that, you know, he was... He was a lot more slick in the ring. You know, he was like his old self about maybe back in sort of the mid-2000s. Like This was after he had his hip surgery as well, and you could see the difference that it made. Uh, but it's a... Sh- is it do you think it was a shame that they only got about, you know, 3 to 4 minutes in that match when, you know, Undertaker even said himself that he had trained for a 20 to 25 minute match?
3: 1000%. These two matches at 33 and 34 should have been the complete opposite. They should have had Roman batter him in 3 minutes, which I know is mental, but then you would have had an even better reaction the next night. Just oh, don't be a know. riot it would have absolutely absolutely been a right. just don't put it on last because you know that wouldn't have worked going on last and then Cena and Undertaker should have got the half hour match Um, I promise I'm not bullshitting you here I think that if Cena and Taker had had a proper match it would have been one of the best matches that Undertaker has remembered for in his Wrestlemania career honestly because Cena always puts on good matches with people I'm a massive fan of his I've said that a million times um, mm-hmm. and I think it's such a shame that Cena's you know stamp in this list of matches is you know he got so well Cena got a hard deal but The Undertaker got an even harder deal because you could tell he was ready to do so much more and he obviously wasn't very happy about having that short match I was mm-hmm. I was so into this like uh, that's my favourite recent Wrestlemania I loved the whole show I basically said it's like my favourite Wrestlemania since Wrestlemania 17 and I'm um, just watching it back in the documentary I had goosebumps watching Undertaker's entrance with Cena with his jaw on the floor on the ramp it just could have been so much more and I think both wrestlers were prepared to have it so much more and mm-hmm. um, there was two other little things that I wanted to know about that match I thought it was really cool that um, Undertaker was working out in the back While his trainer was watching Asuka and Charlotte Flair, which is my favourite WrestleMania match in like the last 10 years or something like that. And also, straight after this match, when everyone's congratulating Undertaker for putting on such a good performance, that's when he has this little chat with Roman that you mentioned earlier, and it was essentially the first time they'd spoken about the match in a year or something like that, and I actually found myself welling up a little bit, because the first thing that he does is he doesn't take any of Roman's praise for his match, he's just like I'm really sorry I let you down, and and Roman just doesn't stand for it at all, he's like absolutely not, do not be thinking about that and the relationship that Uh, That's another thing—the relationship that's sort of on display between Undertaker and Roman throughout this whole series of shows Mm -hmm. is really, really great as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And uh, Daniel, do you think you think that seeing all that interaction backstage is actually really refreshing to see? You know, Mark Callaway interact with his colleagues when you know for so long we've used to be seeing him in character, sort of act like a like a standalone character. and doesn't have much interaction with with other superstars. Like, how refreshing is that seeing, knowing that you see him interacting with his colleagues as a human being and interacting with his family afterwards?
1: Yeah, it, it's... It made an absolute difference. I mean, even going back to the... the segment earlier where they're at the Royal Rumble, just seeing him stand and watching the monitor with everyone, like, even that moment when Seth Rollins comes up to him and he instantly greets him, just like, hey, brother, how you doing? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it... Obviously, when it comes time for him to go and perform that's when he is Undertaker but you have to obviously people have to remember they are not you know their characters all the time like as much as Undertaker goes out there he cannot be Undertaker all the time he has to be Mark Calloway when he's out of the ring it's the same with like um, I'm trying to think like, if, like well since I mentioned him earlier like Seth Rollins isn't always Seth Rollins he's Colby Lopez outside of the ring mm-hmm. like he's not always gonna they, they aren't stuck in that character and it's just people getting a chance to see them outside of what we see on tv all the time so it's i always enjoy getting to see the amount of character personally i love seeing that more Mm -hmm.
0: yeah absolutely uh and now that brings us uh on to chapter three now undertaker has finally got his redemption from wrestlemania 33 and this is sort of the point where he, he now starts to consider what could be his last good match and i'm gonna refer back to wrestlemania's 25 through 28 the the saga between him, Shawn Michaels, and Triple H. Now uh, Chris, I think you be- I believe you mentioned, you know, there was the, the spot at WrestleMania twenty seven where he took so many chair shots as a result from that no holds barred match against Triple H. Uh, but I wanna talk about the the end of an era hell in a cell match at WrestleMania twenty eight. Do you feel like Undertaker could have closed off his career at that very moment?
3: Absolutely. In fact, any one of those matches in this run could have been Undertaker's last match and he would have been remembered so fondly for it. He could have finished up after the second Shawn Michaels match. He could have finished up after the Hell in the Cell match. He could have finished up after CM Punk. Like, all of this period of time, Undertaker was putting on absolutely stellar, well, I wouldn't say stellar, solid like 9 out of 10 matches. At WrestleMania every single year. It was really fun that they actually went back and explored some of these matches because I felt like, oh, we're only starting from 33. There's a whole other aspect of Undertaker's story to tell here. And I love that they sort of jumped about and told that story a bit as well. In fact, they actually, (laughs) they even made reference to the fact the Undertaker and Triple H fought at WrestleMania 17 which just never seems mm-hmm. to get mentioned because um, yeah. I think that's the, I think that's maybe the best match of the three of them but that's maybe an argument for another day
0: yeah I think some folk on the pod would disagree with you because a lot of like some of them have said you know end of an era Hell in a Cell is probably the best match that they've ever that they've ever had mm. and but just to sort of touch on that end of an era theme like they go into detail Gary about the the interaction between Undertaker, Triple H, and Shawn Michaels, when he was the special referee, they stand at the top of the ramp, uh, sort of embracing each other and just looking out into the audience. Like, and Triple H has said himself in his DVD that that is still his favourite WrestleMania moment or favourite WWE moment of all time. Like, how iconic! was that image, even though it often gets overlooked ahead of the match itself.
2: Yeah, I mean, we've got three absolute stalwarts, three uh, of WWE's uh, greatest stars, um, and they have this story, as so you just touched up this in- story that's intertwined, it goes over many, many years, and it's um, just so much history amongst them, and so much connection, and you can see little moments throughout the documentary of those connections you can see the you know, the undertaker's getting ready for his match at one point in triple h and you know and suit and tie comes over and you can see him giving them a wee sort of pep talk almost uh the you know and you know these guys have been as somebody said earlier on through the trends together absolute stalwarts and um you know a huge amount of history there and uh, it was a classic wrestlemania moment mm-hmm. I think that moment
0: you're referring to—that uh, was backstage at WrestleMania 31. That's when the, the self-doubt was still creep, creeping in. He was yeah. just like, "Listen, you're the Undertaker. You're the you're the fucking Undertaker. Like, d- uh, stop, uh, stop thinking like this, because you know you can do this." Like, I think that was a really good interaction uh, between the two of them there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, this is uh, this. Unfortunately, this is the part where we now have to talk about. Uh, the Crown Jewel match. Uh, now, we have briefly talked about... Uh, we, well, it was included in our conversation when we were rebooking the Crown Jewel 2018 pay-per-view. That was a past episode we did, and you can find that on our back catalogue. Uh, just search your preferred podcasting platform for that. Uh, but there's a lot of conversation surrounding that Crown Jewel match, Chris, and you know, Undertaker has come out and said, you know, that could very well have been his last match. Like, he was prepared to make that his his last match, but unfortunately it didn't go the way everybody hoped.
3: Yeah, um, it was interesting because I feel like the Australia shows and all of the Saudi shows at this period of time just did not go well for Taker. Um, This was the only problem that I had with the whole documentary, was that here they started talking about Undertaker being distracted by family problems but they never really Mm -hmm. went into what the details were. Obviously, they had no need to, and we have no right to know, but I was just like, uh, that was the only thing that I felt was a bit unfinished. They were like, yeah, Undertaker performed badly, and he had family problems. Episode four, and I was just like, wait, what? We need more information than that. But yeah, that was the only bit that I felt was unfinished.
2: Yeah, I'm quite glad that this wasn't, you know, one of these random Saudi Australia shows wasn't his last match because at that point I'd have said and I'd have argued strongly that The Undertaker's last match should be at Wrestlemania and we'll probably argue that again when we come on to Extreme Rules later mm. so in some way I'm glad he didn't bow out in a B-level show yeah definitely um,
0: and Daniel I think we we could you know you know, we could talk for hours literally about how how that was not worthy of his of his last match even though it was a tag team match but uh, he, he actually went into a lot of detail. Him and Triple H were talking about, you know, these are, these are four veterans in this one match. You know, Shawn Michaels has come out of retirement. Kane's also involved. Like, these are, these are four veterans, and, you know, it should have been a walk in the park to deliver a really good match. Uh, do you think um, there is some element of either cockiness, overconfidence, or maybe even a little bit of complacency uh, from, the, from all four guys going into this match?
1: I'll be honest, I wouldn't say complacency, I think it was just more they knew that, like, well, more specifically, Triple H and Taker knew that they both could put in a great performance. Kane, for as little as he works nowadays, still puts in, you know, a solid enough job that, you know, will make do. Sean, as, you know, as much as the match was bad, considering that was Sean's first in-ring performance in eight years, he was bloody fantastic. Like mm-hmm. he had the he had the flow still there it was still there he hadn't you know it felt like he hadn't missed a beat the problem was if you watch the match it's actually okay right up until they do the spot where Shawn Michaels has been positioned in the tree of woe and Taker uh, throws Triple H into the corner for Triple H to do the flip out to the outside the problem of having Shawn Michaels there in the corner as well Triple H obviously doesn't want to batter right into him and so he had to work a bit more on the flip out and that's where he tears his Mm peck. My feeling is that, had Triple H not torn the peck, and, you know, the match kind of went at a nice good flow, maybe for 15 minutes, it would have been good. Mm. The problem is just, when the injury happened, they're scrambling. It's panic stations, they're in... they're in blowing hot weather over there, and that's what got them. It's just, I think, had the injury not happened, it would have gone smoother but the injury just put them off track completely
0: yeah i think that it was that moment you know where the the torn pec happened that's when it turned into i think they called it quote a train wreck and you know it didn't do any four of those guys justice and you know as as for mentioned uh, there was talks of uh, you know, as Chris mentioned, there there was family issues going on, but we never went into any detail. But probably rightly so, because you know that's a that's a personal thing. There's no point or sort of airing that to the world if if it's nothing that you don't want to be talking about. But on reflection, Undertaker definitely said you know he wasn't there mentally, and you know that could have been that could have been it for him. You know, going out on an even sour note compared to WrestleMania 33. But. Um, As we sort of ponder on that, we're just going to jump quickly into a quick break now. And since we're on the subject of end of an era and the relationship between Triple H and Shawn Michaels, uh, here is one of Undertaker's greatest promos that he's cut against Shawn Michaels ahead of their career versus street match at WrestleMania 26. So uh, enjoy that and we'll see you in a few minutes. Hello, folks. I'm Nathan Fisher. And I'm Chris Murray. Join us on the Monday Night Viewing as we look back on every head-to-head episode of Dowdy Raw House W Nitro.
3: Find us on the brand new Suplex Retweet Extra feed available on all good podcasting sites.
4: The 2009 match of the year. Your winner, Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker. year at Wrestlemania 25 I came up a little bit short and I did not break the Undertaker's undefeated streak but I'm still very proud of what he and I accomplished thank you all very much you know something Undertaker I can beat you so right here tonight I'm throwing out the challenge you and me WrestleMania, one more time. If I only could, make a deal with God, God, get him to swap our places. Be running up that that building. My answer is no. If I only could, I realize what I have to do now. I'm going to face is you. So the pressure is now on Shawn Michaels to win the Royal Rumble to get his rematch with The Undertaker at WrestleMania. No! 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 The dream of Shawn Michaels has been crushed. If I only could. with this. Super kicking referees, fines. You're lucky you weren't suspended. You're lucky you're here at all. You're spiraling down, man. It's not the end of the world. There are plenty of other guys for you to compete with in WrestleMania. Not for me. The obsession with the Undertaker has just taken Sean to a place he's never been before. Has this obsession gone this far? You willing to throw DX away, huh? You willing to throw your career away? My career is over. If I only could. I, I beg you for a rematch. You want your revenge. Face me at WrestleMania, Undertaker, and get your revenge. I accept. If I beat you, your career is over. The streak versus your career. You don't get it. If I can't beat you at WrestleMania, I have no career. You're on. oh Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex,
0: Retweet. Dead man walking. Welcome back to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. I'm David Hockney and I am joined by Chris, Daniel, Gary and Kwaku. And today we're talking about the Undertaker Last Ride docu series, The five-part special on the WWE Network where we look behind the scenes at the Undertaker's career over the last three years and also into his into his personal life. Uh, we discussed the first three chapters in the first half, and now we're going to move on to Chapter 4, The Battle Within. Now, this one, you know, sort of falls out from, you know, the Crown Jewel train wreck and how, you know, Undertaker was going through a series of mental struggles, and, you know, mentally he wasn't prepared for that Crown Jewel match. But we do get a nice little segment in this chapter, Gary, where we um, we look at some of his... Uh, his um, sort of recordings of promos from his early days, uh, sort of in the early '90s, and he's—you could just see how much devotion he has to the character. But at the same time, whenever there's like an outtake, he actually shows he's actually a very, uh, very likable person.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's a, a little change you see over the years because, at once upon a time, the Undertaker did do some of the things you wouldn't have expected him to do now so he did appear in talk shows he did appear at access he did sign ins and appear for autographs and photos and so on and then uh, in terms of the way he, he'd already been doing this and the way he worked he started to alter how he carried himself outside of the ring when he was still in the public eye maybe as a consequence of heading into this digital media era when everything can be easily captured and we all seen the pictures of The Undertaker sat in Nando's in Edinburgh I think it was
1: <laughs> um,
2: so he, he sort of altered his behaviour a little bit uh, over the passage of time so that was quite interesting to see uh, how he uh, you know, how he you know, it was almost like method acting, wasn't it? Um he just you know, really embodied embodied this this character in the way that he carried himself, the way he conducted himself, the things that he allowed him to do. And that's what's so nice when you now get to see that he can start to enjoy it a little bit more and you get the sense in the the show that he you know, he wants to do more public facing activities and we see, you know, and you refer to some of the things he's been doing earlier on we're starting to see him doing some of that so one hopes that he's able to over this the duration of the 15-year contract he now has with wwe that he's able to do some things which bring pleasure to him and also give the fans a chance to meet the man behind the character
0: Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and uh chris we were sort of having a brief discussion about some of the stuff he did behind the scenes you know he how how well he stays in character, and you know some of the promos he cuts. But uh, does it even does it feel a little bit weird? You know, see, seeing if there's an instance, you know, if if a take doesn't go to plan, and he's like, oh, dang it, uh, we're gonna have to redo that now, or you know, he, he fluffs his lines or he trips over and stuff. Does it feel weird seeing, seeing that happen to him, knowing that you know he's he's very serious with how how seriously he wants to take his character.
3: I think I absolutely loved this part. I mean, I'd never seen any of this footage before ever. There was clips of him when he's in the graveyard and he's like, rest. And then he just bursts out laughing before he says peace and stuff like that. I was like, "This it it totally humanised him. It was like watching the behind the scenes of your favourite TV show. There was actually one, I didn't get a chance to say it when we were talking about episode three, but there's a brilliant one where Undertaker and Kane are cutting the promo on Shawn Michaels and Triple H and they're taking the rip out of DX and they're like, oh we've got three words for you. And Kane sets up Undertaker to say like rest in peace. And Undertaker just goes, Go fuck yourself. And I literally was I was absolutely howling at it. I think I think it might be my highlight of the whole show. But um yeah, no I. Like of course Undertaker's been involved with so many iconic promo videos over the years, like the clips from the Kamala match where he's making the coffin. I love that. I thought that was absolutely excellent. The all the footage from the graveyards is all absolutely brilliant as well. And it showed you as well when he's doing, you know, like TV interviews and somebody said something to him that's like, Oh, are you are you married? And he says something like, oh, no, I'm, I'm married to the Disciples of the Apocalypse or something like that. Mm-hmm. Just like, he's so in character all the time. And so it was quite good to see when he messes up. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and uh, Daniel, Gary mentioned as well, like, uh, nowadays, you know, when he's doing like more interviews and more sort of public appearances and stuff, there was a, a spot uh, mentioned in this match where he was advertised for Starcast, uh, but mm-hmm. then he was pulled at the last minute because... <laughs> You know, this was a stage where, you know, he was still contemplating retirement, Mm -hmm. uh, but Vince pulled him from StarCast because of its links with AEW. Uh, Do you think that sense of competition between promotions, knowing that The Undertaker was on the verge of retirement, uh, how much do you think that would have damaged or did damage the relationship between him and Vince?
1: Well, I think it did damage some element of the trust because obviously Taker agreed to it because it was a promotion and plus he'd be getting to hang out with like some colleagues and people he respected. The only thing that Vince really just had the gripe with was just the fact that AEW was running Double or Nothing that weekend.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Like see literally if it, there was like nothing else, he wouldn't have batted an eyelid. It's just the fact that AEW were in that town that weekend. And mm-hmm. everyone will said like oh Taker's gonna appear there and Vince is just like what's this I'm hearing? just like doing a convention. That's what I'm there for. Taker didn't think about the AEW side of things. And also, I have a bone to pick with this personally because it was due to Vince's little uh, spat with Undertaker here and then pulling him from that and signing him to the contract. It meant that Undertaker could not do the appearance he was scheduled to do in Glasgow and in the UK on an Inside the Ropes meet and greet tour. So I missed out on a chance of getting to see him live in person. Thank you very much for that Vince.
4: Mm. Yeah.
2: Are we really supposed to believe that The Undertaker didn't know that StarCast was connected to AEW? I find that a wee bit hard to believe. If it's true, he's certainly very naive. He's maybe just playing a wee bit of a game with WWE to show, you know, you know if you're not going to take me seriously, I still have value in other places.
4: Mm.
2: Uh, it
0: was quite a... Uh quite a weird scenario to say the least and you know for someone as like who's been in the business long enough to know it inside and out it does seem a bit weird that he wasn't aware that AEW's presence was going to be felt and you know how Vince feels about the competition these days and AEW is probably WWE's biggest competitor since uh, TNA in the mid-2000s so um, Gary do you think that reaction was somewhat justified?
2: Yeah, I could think you know, we talked earlier on about the relationship that the two men have and it sounds like at no point did The Undertaker contact Vince to say hey, I'm going to do this signing or I've been asked to do this, is that okay with you? He heard about it on the grapevine and I could understand somebody being, uh, being pissed off about that and it certainly caused some friction within their relationship for a period of time that followed but yeah, I could see I think there's probably merits on both sides of the argument and there's some fault in the middle. But um, yeah, I think w- WWE stroke Vince in this instance was probably a wee bit right to be annoyed about it. I, you know, like I said a moment ago, I, I find it hard to believe that The Undertaker didn't know that StarCast was connected to AEW. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and this, uh, this brings us now to WrestleMania 35 in MetLife Stadium and he's not been booked for the card. He doesn't even have his gear with him, uh, Chris. And this is like, this is, uh, this is, um, I mean, I don't know the wrestling business, like, you know, the the unspoken rules, etc. cetera. But uh, apparently, even if you're not booked on the card, you should always have your gear with you. And then this was, this was an instance where Undertaker didn't have his gear because he wasn't booked for the show. Uh, but you could see he was just standing in gorilla backstage. And you thought, and you saw him thinking, you know, he should be out there and then you know that's where the old feelings come back again about his his internal conflict he's thinking i should be out there but at the same time i shouldn't like what did you think about that
3: well if there was any doubt about undertaker's commitment to vince the fact that he flew from what new york to texas and then back to new york in the space of what 24 hours i think that shows you how dedicated to vince he was um i've heard the always bring your gear thing before i've heard that i've heard british wrestlers say that before like anytime you're at a show always have your gear there in case it's needed at any point it was very strange like I don't really remember missing him at the time, but then watching it back and knowing that he was there and all that, it it was very strange not to have Undertaker going out on that card. I mean, it it was an absolutely stacked card, so it probably didn't need him. And he goes into quite extensive detail about how he never wants to just be ushered into a WrestleMania card. He always wants to have a reason to be there. And I think he made a really important point at one point where he said that he, what was it? He knows I like, and he admits that him being on a WrestleMania card does take a spot away from a guy who's maybe coming up and someone who's much younger than him. So he wants to make sure that it's worth it. And I felt that it was really important that he actually acknowledged that and he was aware of that because, you know, I bet some of the older guys, they are not aware of that even a little bit. So yeah, it was good to see him. He's, he's very humble throughout this whole thing, I think. Mhm. Yeah, definitely. And...
0: Uh, Daniel, I think there was actually a key quote that was uh, said in this episode uh, where he says to Shawn Michaels, uh, I should have left with you. This in reference to the WrestleMania 26 match where HBK retired. Uh, how crazy would the reaction have been? You know, you know, if Shawn Michaels retires that night and then Undertaker immediately follows, follows after him, you know, say that's it, WrestleMania 26, both careers are done.
1: It, it would have been crazy, but... The problem I would have had would have just been it would have been far too sudden because they build it as streak versus career. The problem is, given that obviously we knew Undertaker was going to carry on beyond this, if he had all of a sudden backpelled and said, right, I'm out as well, I think the fans would have, they either would have, you know, cheered them on in their last stand or my fear about it would have been they'd have given them the Brock Lesnar-Goldberg Mania 20 treatment. Mm-hmm. Which you know the two the two of them absolutely would never deserve that. Like no,
0: absolutely not.
2: No, no, absolutely not. I I think I've got a slightly different take on WrestleMania 35 to that that Chris described. I thought it was really sad, and this might sound a wee bit too harsh, but I think I have a better word. I can't think of a better word to do it, use at the moment. A wee bit pathetic when you see them just you know hanging about backstage. He was a spare part. He looked like he was in everybody's way. He was playing no role or purpose back there with his family. He should have went and sat in one of the luxury boxes and enjoyed the night. He wasn't on the show. you seen him earlier on interacting with Brett, the hitman Hart, and Brett saying to him, you know, you're about. You know, it'll be good to catch up with you later. I just found it really awkward watching it and I'd, I'd th- hanging about in the gorilla position when he had no f- real role there must have just made him feel even worse Mm -hmm. about about not being booked and wanting to be out there and that comment yeah that comment about I should have left with you that that's that's hindsight at the time he wasn't ready to go he's he's not ready to go now (laughs) so that's just you know that's just hindsight
0: and reflecting back yeah again that we, we keep coming back to this it's that that struggle of not knowing when to stop and he can't Help, but always feel devoted to Vince and the WWE because it touches on their relationship before. Like they're, they have got a very brotherly like relationship, and as for mentioned, like they would have took a bullet for each other. That's how how much respect there is between the two of them. And you know, despite not being booked for WrestleMania 35, he appears on Raw the next night in a segment with Elias. So I suppose he does get he does um, appear in some capacity, but not to overshadow what was going on at WrestleMania that night. Now, unfortunately, I've got to, to bring up the, the next Saudi show, Super Showdown, and that match with Goldberg. Now. Do you have to? After. I'm afraid so, Flacco. <laughs> like, hey, we have to address it. Because this was actually a very key turning point in the documentary, I think. Because, you know, that was a point, you know, where, you know, it could have been game over for The Undertaker, not just, like, for his WWE career, but for his, his career as a whole. Because that jackhammer spot, Chris, I mean, that was very much, you know, rest in peace taker, if you get me.
3: Yeah, the documentary episode four, in fact, just kind of all the episodes actually seemed to show this clip over and over again. And every time I was watching and every different angle, I was getting more and more stressed at how close Undertaker does come to just absolutely necking himself it's a shame because they sort of made it out like it was Taker's fault like oh I was really close to like breaking my neck and I was like no Goldberg was really close to breaking your neck man like I don't feel like the blame of that instant should have been on Taker but then also of course like to, to speak about that match a little bit like you mentioned earlier or someone mentioned earlier that the reason the tag team match with uh, you know Taker, Kane, Shawn Michaels and Triple H was so bad was because of the injury. Well, it's the same argument here. Like, it w- I know that both guys are old and they were in Saudi Arabia, but if Goldberg hadn't been concussed I think this match would have been much better. Like, Both wrestlers have proven since by having much better matches. But at the same time, it has to be said, I I genuinely think that this match with Goldberg, I think that's probably the lowest point in Undertaker's career.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Like I I even remember, uh, Daniel, I remember watching Super Showdown from the comfort of my own couch. And this was the main event of that show, so it was the last match. I actually ended up switching off uh, the network before this match came about because I knew it was going to be an absolute... Uh, it was going to be an even bigger train wreck than the the crown jewel tag team match. I don't know. Did you did you end up watching this match, at all, or did you not even give it a second chance?
1: Well, the f- the first couple of Saudi shows they did, I happened to be working at that point because they broadcast about maybe five o'clock, and I'm that's usually when I'm at work. So uh-huh. the first couple I'd actually missed. This is the first one I got to watch properly live, and I. As soon as Goldberg got concussed, the fear kicked in, just like, oh no, something something isn't gonna go right. And I think probably like if I if I had been the person in that match, I would have said, right, let's not do anything ridiculous. Let's not go for the jackhammer. Because mm-hmm. like the spear he could very easily still pull off.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: But the jackhammer I just would not have done with it. And when I saw that they were gonna attempt it, I actually was like I, I was actually kind of like holding on to the my bed just like oh god this is gonna go so bad this is gonna go bad and then he lifts him up and falls right back and it's just when taken nearly land there I actually let out an audible like gasp just like oh shit like 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 my dad came in just like are you okay and I'm like um yeah I just nearly saw one of my childhood heroes die so yeah um I think it was like earlier on when taker was saying about stuff like where he said that he had some fault with him I can get where he's coming from because I think you know there probably was a bit in his head saying go for anything other than the jackhammer but they just didn't they just hadn't said it
0: hmm yeah and even though Undertaker won that match like his his immediate expression afterwards was just like that nah, no way I can't, I cannot finish my career like that and you know again it comes back to devotion to Vince. You know he was under contract still for at least a couple more matches, and that. But that brings us actually very nicely to Extreme Rules. Gary, I remember you mentioned this quite uh, early on in the show, where we had Roman Reigns and The Undertaker go against Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre in the Extreme Rules match. Like, how refreshing was it to see The Undertaker in this? Uh, capacity knowing that you know his last couple of matches with uh, the Saudi Arabia shows just you know were complete disasters
2: yeah it was great it was really great and one of the things I didn't know at the time that we know now is that this match was already planned to happen before the train wreck in Saudi and I certainly and I'm sure others did assumed that this match was put into place to try and you know make up or, or get beyond the train wreck that happened there but the you know the undertaker was in the ring with people that he could work with that could take bumps that could bounce around that could help to hide some of his weaknesses it was also a tag match so he could get out and have breathers during the match and and so on so it really helped to hide the weaknesses but uh you know to be fair to The Undertaker, he certainly looked a lot sharper in this match, much sharper than we'd seen him uh, in a long time. And whilst the Goldberg match maybe looked good on paper, to put these two legends up against each other, I think what we started to see here is they need to be booked against the right people. And we seen when Goldberg was booked against Dolph Ziggler at Summerslam and in that, you know, the right type of match, you got, you know, you got a nice moment at it, and also at an appropriate point of the card, the second match out, as far as the SummerSlam match was concerned. So I think we started to see a, you know, the Undertaker booked in a better way here, and it was, it was an excellent match, and you could tell when the Undertaker went backstage, and you've seen his reaction in the documentary. He was so pleased with how it went, but you also got this sense, even though he was saying, "I think that's me," you know, "I'm done here." There was this, you know, he's still searching for his Moby Dick. Yeah, he's still looking for that <laughs> that, y- that euphemism big moment
1: <laughs> his Moby Dick
2: his Jackhammer
4: <laughs>
2: oh, I'm, I'm going to regret this metaphor but you know he's still searching for that moment he can't he, he's almost like he's he's addicted he's like, you know, like a junkie searching for his last fix in it he gets his that last, last mat. <laughs> <laughs> you know he gets that moment where he thinks right I could you know you know he has that match that's good and he thinks oh no but i could go again and then he goes again and the match is a disaster and he's like well i can't go out like that so it's almost like he doesn't know and we see this internal struggle throughout that he just doesn't know when to call it a day Mm -hmm. but you know i think the the element of
0: the tag team match uh chris definitely assisted him you know he didn't have to bear all the the brunt on his shoulders you know you had You know, you had guys like Shane, uh, Roman and Drew, you know, all doing their bits to, to make this a really good match. And, you know, maybe just being biased from, you know, we're all Scottish and we, we think it's great that Drew is getting a, has been in a program with The Undertaker and stuff. Like, how, how good must it feel knowing that this was a really good match, uh, from not just Undertaker's perspective, but I think all four guys were really pleased with it
3: yeah i've never actually seen this extreme rules match i knew it happened but this is the first time i've properly watched some footage of it and i I thought it looked really really good i I realized immediately i was like oh tag matches are the way that you keep undertaker on your cards. just you know do him and roman actually maybe do him and drew like there's so many possibilities you can do with undertaker you know in the next you know let's say he's got in a hypothetical world where you know we didn't get the ending of the documentary that we got, if we had another two years of Undertaker, this is how you could extend his career even further. Um, and I loved that the end of the episode ended on him walking away with AJ, which was some massive like sort of foreshadowing of what was to come up in the final part.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know I think that brings us very nicely into uh, the last chapter, Revelation. Uh, and Daniel, as Chris mentioned, you know, you see the uh, him walking backstage with AJ Styles. Uh, Undertaker's on a high at the minute. You know, he's... Uh, I think this is where he feels he's finally had his last good match and he starts talking retirement with Vince. He says, I'm finished now. And... But little did we know we'd actually get one more match out of him. He's, he's like Christian at this stage, just always asking for one more match. Uh, and it was actually... How weird was it to know that it was actually AJ Styles that reached out to him for that WrestleMania match? It
1: was It was interesting knowing that. Even going back further into uh, the second episode when he's at Mania 34, you see him watching AJ on the monitor and he says, now that's someone I'd like to work with. Mm-hmm. And here we are, what would end up being the last chapter, and AJ reaches out and just goes, well, if I can be... One of one of, if not his last match, I'm taking that chance, and blowing good on AJ for doing it because, like, it was, like, because when you look at it, like, right out on paper, the phenom versus the phenomenal one, mm. you don't need anything else. There you go, no. you're, you're sorted.
0: Yeah, and it was. I think it was like this was a, like a dream match for like rest like fans of. You know the WWE. I think they've been clamouring at this as a WrestleMania dream match. You know Phenom versus Phenomenal, Gary. And but obviously, you know, circumstances out with WWE control. This is where the pandemic uh, comes in, and they end up doing a cinematic match instead with Undertaker as you know sort of Biker Taker. But this this feud in the build-up it was a lot more directed towards Mark Calloway rather than The Undertaker like how how was this different approach to building a feud compared to say if AJ went after Undertaker as opposed to Mark Calloway
2: yeah I mean we hadn't seen anybody do this with The Undertaker since what Diamond Dallas Page was stalking him um, so it has been a long long time since anything any story involving The Undertaker had any you Person, personal nature in it and we often hear in wrestling the best stories are those ones that have some reality attached to them and it's just it is curious uh, that they decided to go down this way but those promos were excellent there is something about AJ and you know we see it with um, Samoa Joe almost like the tables had turned here Samoa Joe was calling out Wendy and now we have AJ calling out Michelle I just loved the little storytelling here. The sort of poking at the bear to get the Undertaker to come for the the fight, and it just led itself so nicely into the return of Baker Taker because it made sense that it was the man that came for that match, not the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh,
0: Chris, do you think? Having you know more of Mark Calloway being featured in this feud as opposed to Undertaker, it sort of takes away from the fact that you know this is a transition between you know Undertaker having his last great match, at Extreme Rules, in front of a live audience, to you know Mark Calloway being put in a more cinematic concept with the Boneyard match. Like, uh, do you think this was a a really good idea to put together? You know, having those two in a cinematic aspect rather than seeing them live in a ring
3: i think what i realized from watching this is that the story that they were trying to put forward was the undertaker as undertaker wouldn't have been able to beat aj because the story was too personal and just plain old undertaker wouldn't be able to react enough to that you know he's a dead man he doesn't have emotions he doesn't care about his wife um so it was almost like the match with aj he had to pull, I mean, he called it his trifecta in the show, didn't he? He had to pull Mark Halloway. He had to pull the American Badass and Undertaker. And that am- amalgamation of those three people is who was fighting AJ in the Boneyard match. I thought that was that was key. It wasn't just American Badass turning up. It was all of those three characters all coming together to take on Al- Alan Jones. Is that his name? Um, yeah. No, I th- I no, thought that-
0: no, um no, John Cena, according to Stephen Wilson.
3: Excellent. Um, I feel like that's key. The this the backstory of this match is that it was more than the Undertaker. It was bigger than the Undertaker because AJ had made it so personal.
0: Yeah, uh, that, that was. I think that's what added to the you know the mystique of the Boneyard match, and I think that's why everybody enjoyed it so much. But you know, it wasn't all uh, smooth sailing because there was a, a point uh, where Undertaker revealed, and this was actually a really really sad moment. He actually found out that his, his brother. Had passed away a few days prior to filming, uh, died from a heart attack. Uh, Daniel, what did you make of this when he is actually revealing something very personal about his family, and he's almost, he's almost tearing up as a result?
1: The only way I can put it is like when you see, you know, it's basically you're looking at the one of the toughest guys in the world, and then you get the reminder that just like everyone else, you know, he has, you know, there's emotion there. Like there's going to be, like no matter what. Like, obviously, The Undertaker, we all see, has this game face all the time, this brilliant poker face. Nothing can break him. But at the same time, you know, family is one of the most important things in the world. And this is one of those times you get to see him being affected by it, unfortunately. And mm-hmm. the only other time I do recall a superstar having similar was... um I think it was No Way Out, I can't remember if it was 2008 or 2009, Um, Triple H's brother or I think one of his brothers passed away the week before that pay-per-view. And so Triple H was absent from TV on the go-home. And Mm -hmm. that was like the only time that I'd known obviously for grief to Hitler that. But then obviously Undertaker's in a worse scenario because with the pandemic that was going on, and like, you know, unfortunately, so many other families in the world, he was in a he wasn't in a position where he could just easily, you know, like go to his mum and be there for her. Like, he couldn't do that because of what was going on, and he had to find some kind of way to to grieve and deal with what was going on. And I think the, you know, the 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 saving grace of being around. The WWE crew was he was among close friends particularly with Triple H so he had people there he could bounce off of but obviously just he couldn't actually be there for his family
0: Mm -hmm. well it's obviously not an ideal situation you know given you know what's going on in the world but it was really nice to see that he had some form of condolence you know people he could confide in you know during that time because there was a lot of production involved with that boneyard match and trip, as you said triple h was involved in the production of it as well so i think that's how he was able to power his way through the boneyard match and deliver he delivered something pretty spectacular with aj as well but one thing i will like to touch upon and i want to get all three uh, thoughts of you three of your thoughts on this one i'll start with you gary like there's this old sort of unspoken rule that you know if somebody's going to have their last match whether it be a hall of famer like rick flair or kurt angle and they're having their retirement match the the unspoken rule is that they go out on their back but that didn't happen in this case in this case it was much more uh, of a a symbolic finish you know he he chokeslams aj into the grave he gets buried alive and then he gets back on his bike and rides off into the darkness on his last ride like Do you think that's the way he should have gone out, you know, with a win and then leaving on his last ride? Or do you think he should have gone out on his back?
2: I think those traditional rules of wrestling, I would say, don't apply to The Undertaker. So in principle, yes, he should, like everybody, go out and help make a new star on his way out. But if you're going to break those rules, then there's nobody more deserving to break them for than The Undertaker. And Jim Ross is often fantasy book that the end of The Undertaker should have been. The Undertaker wins the title at WrestleMania and the next night leaves it lying in the ring and a tournament starts. So I think if you're going to break the rules, it's justifiable to do it. Had that bone yard match been filmed with the intention that that was the undertaker's last match maybe there'd be a a different outcome to it but i don't think anybody intended that to be the undertaker's last match and i think the only reason the undertaker has become has come to terms with maybe that being his last match is because of the reaction it got because it far exceeded everybody's expectations the internet was uh, on fire after the match Mm. so it's it could nicely put a bow on his career. I don't yeah. think I don't think it will. I'm sure he'll be back for one more match in front of the big crowd. Uh,
0: do you think the same, Chris? Like do you think he should have gone out on his back or do you think, you know, as Gary mentioned, you know, this is like Undertaker is a once in a generation superstar and this sort of thing only happens like once in a blue moon?
3: I have two thoughts on this. First of all, I am a believer in that rule because It shows that on your way out, you're putting someone over and pretty much all of the greats have done it. Ric Flair, of course, did it. Shawn Michaels did it. Um, Undertaker absolutely does get to make his own rules. I think that, you know, to build slightly on what Gary said, I feel like if it had been his match with AJ in front of 80,000 people, it might not have been his last match. But once coronavirus happened and once they started doing what they were doing with the Boneyard match, I feel like at that point he was like yeah this is it because that's a nice way to go out if you know if that match had looked bad they would have just reshot it and it you would have kept going until it did get good which I know they've done a bit on Raw as well but the other little addendum I wanted to put in is that I would have predicted every single wrestlemania match correctly had i actually stuck to this rule and predicted that kurt angle was going to lose his last match because i predicted every other match apart from that one i was really annoyed with myself and taker is not the only phenom to lose his uh, sorry to win his last match bloody drew galloway had to go out of icw with a win didn't he because he's just too big for icw and that bugged me i remember Turning my back on Drew Galloway that night because I was so annoyed <laughs> at him. Um, but yeah, anyway, back to the show. Undertaker, etc., etc. <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, Daniel, just quickly, very, very quickly, I'll get your thoughts on that as well. Do you think WrestleMania was the ideal time for him to have potentially his last match, as opposed, you know, having such a positive result from Extreme Rules?
1: I'll be honest. He had Taker decided not to do the WrestleMania match. I would have been more than happy with how he did Extreme Rules because that was the Undertaker that I grew up seeing. I got to see him finally have one last brilliant hurrah. And then, you know, obviously Styles reaches out, gets the program started and I think whether it had been in front of a sold out stadium or with what we got with the Boneyard match, it would have been a fitting way for Taker to have gone out and, you know, I'm more than happy for it. Like I did have my ideas of where he could have gone post-WrestleMania, had he not felt that that was time. Mm -hmm. You know, I I did actually have an idea of him uh, trading titles with Drew McIntyre, like, with Drew regaining it at the following WrestleMania, and that would have been it. Like, I did have an idea about that, but I'm happy that he felt this was that fitting, you know, final show for him.
0: Yeah. And then we sort of come into the last part of episode five, and it's a really sad closing montage. You know, going back through highlights of his career. You know, he's you see him with Michelle and his his daughter out by the out by their home in Austin, Texas. And he and he says quite clearly, uh, "I'm quite content with not returning to the ring." So I think it was pretty much cut and dry that. You know, he's accepted his retirement now, and it was a really sort of somber feeling, Gary, but I think, do you think that, that little inkling of could he still do one more, and I know like there'll be fans saying, oh, he could manage one more, or he's, he's at least thinking about it, but do you think he's finally he's finally at peace with himself?
2: I'd like to think he was, but I'm not convinced. Um, I'm not convinced because of his behaviour up until this point, and even the little hints that he gives away throughout this this process. And even if I remember right, I think he says it towards the end as well. But if Vince was to call, and he would, if Vince was to call, he would lace his boots up and go back and and do another match. So I'd love to think that he had got his happy ending because you can see how tormented he is. Lo- tormented he is looking for it, and he absolutely deserves it. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not convinced. I think I think he'll be back.
0: I still think he's tired. He's not retired. You think you'll still have another one, Quacker? Oh, oh, yes. Come on, he's just tired. It's like uh... Jay Z retiring from hip hop. <laughs> yeah, or Deacon Blue during their last concert and still performing like seven, eight years later. I was going with that one, I. <laughs> uh, sure. I mean, that, that, was the, that was the first one that came to mind. Give me peace. Uh, but uh, Chris, what do you think? You know, this is a superstar, you know, a lot of us have seen growing up, like growing up and how, how somber of a feeling is it knowing that, you know, this is another all-time great that's just about called it quits with their career
3: i personally think that he's done right um Mm -hmm. and i would also very much like him to be done because i feel like the boneyard match itself was a very good way to go out but this series was a very good way to go out and i think he made quite a key point at the end where not only did he go through all of the wrestlers that have been the closest to him over the years but he touched on the fact that he didn't even get to say goodbye to a lot of his closest wrestling allies and friends and I think he really really doesn't want to end up that way like he he's so family focused now and mm-hmm. I think he wants to just be able to be there for his wife and his kid just you know forever more so I like I do think that he's probably finished but you know I'm very naive about these things mm.
0: well you know what, if he says, you know, he has no intention of getting back in the ring, I think, you know, we'll have to take his word for it at this stage, but I think we'll always be left hanging, you know, what if, what if, like, there was teases from Sting on Twitter about having a last ride and stuff, but, you know, it's one of those cliffhanger moments, you think, it leaves you with a little extra something up after the end of a long series, and I think this is one of those instances, but I have to agree with Chris, I think, I think he deserves—he's earned his retirement, and he lives. He deserves to live at peace with his wife and his daughter. So that's gonna wrap things up here about the Undertaker Last Ride documentary series. It was—it really was quite an emotional roller coaster seeing the Mark Calloway's career over the last three years, you know, in and outside the ring. And I want to say thank you to my panel for going once again on this emotional roller coaster. So, thank you, Gary. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Chris.
3: Cheers for having us, Dave. Thanks for giving us an excuse to watch Hunters and Hunters and Hunters of Hours of Wrestling back to back. And uh, <laughs> yeah, who, they need to do more of these. Like, they need another documentary crew to follow another wrestler around for five years because it was absolutely spectacular to watch.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed we'll get another one soon. And also, thank you, Daniel.
1: Thank you very much. And if you want more good wrestling stuff to watch, head on over to the Suplex Retweet YouTube channel right now to catch Quiz Showdown 2, Electric Boogaloo. See who walks away as Quiz Showdown champion.
0: There you go. One last uh, plug for our latest release. Uh, and also thank you to our NDEP, Mr. Kwaku Aje Thank you very
4: much. Head over to Quiz Showdown Number 2 if you'd like to see the greatest injustice that's happened I was going to say in 2020, but yeah, it's been a bit of a crap
0: here.
1: so I won't compare it to that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and 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 be sure to keep track of Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet on your preferred podcasting platform, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, any other good podcasting platform. Be sure to follow us on social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. Let us know your thoughts on the Last Ride docuseries. Uh, next week uh, we'll be talking about WWE's wellness policy, so something a bit more, bit more nitty gritty, and maybe some some more somber discussions to be had on that one. But uh, that will be coming out next Thursday, uh, following the release of this show. So keep an eye on the Eat Sleep Suplex retweet main feed for that. But until then, uh, I've been David Hockney, and this has been The Undertaker's Last Ride. Goodbye. <music>
1: Ladies and gentlemen, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet now proudly presents... Suplex Retweet Extra! Get bonus content on WWE, AEW, NXT, WCW, Scottish and World Independent Promotions! Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple, and Android podcasting sites, as well as YouTube. Head over to suplexretweet.com now!
4: Sports
2: Social Podcast Network.